0: Good evening, gentlemen. I've gathered together a meeting of some of the great geniuses of the Doctor Who fan community. And me. Paul Morris, Big Finish writer, Missing Episodes expert. Welcome. How are you? Giles Sparrow, renowned astrophysics author and quiz show protagonist. Hello. Hey, up. And Gav Rymel, Dalek prob chronicler, forensic researcher and 3D set modeler. All well. Why Aye. The talents of these geniuses should be harnessed to a superior vision. With their help, I could turn this insignificant planet into a power base unique in the universe. Or we could just make a podcast.
1: Look, can we just dispense
0: with these phony northeast accents? But we're aiming for maximum authenticity for our celebration of Doctor Who's forays into the Industrial Revolution. Really? Look, everyone knows there are only three English accents in Doctor Who. There's received pronunciation, mummerset, or up north. And this one is definitely up north.
2: So come here, lad. Run to tavern. Tell them as want a podcast to listen. Re- new. do that worse if you (laughs) want. No,
0: no, I, I, I think that's unbeatable, to be honest. Hello, hello and welcome to Something Who podcast episode 40. I'm Richard and we're back with another look at a pair of Doctor Who stories, this time with something of an Industrial Revolution theme. First up is sixth Doctor story, Mark of the Rani, and then we'll have a look at 11th Doctor outing, The Crimson Horror. And I've already introduced the rest of the team in our sketch, so I guess it's time to get down to it. So, uh, good evening, gentlemen. Hello. Evening. Good evening, host. (laughs) So, may as well kick off with Mark of the Rani by Pip and Jane Baker, which was directed by Sarah Hellings, with music by Jonathan Gibbs. It's from season 22. And I have to say, the first thought when I started watching this was, could these titles be any more 80s? (laughs) <laughs> uh, they, I think they're the, the 80s titles of the lot mm. Aren't they, yeah Have we not discussed them before?
1: I don't think we've watched anything from this season yet I remember watching Twin Dilemma for the first time When they appear mm. And in common with the strange decision to put a brand new Doctor at the end of a season Rather than wait I remember thinking, as a teenager Oh, they've hurriedly put on a new effect onto the titles Just for this mm. one story, just to make it look different I don't think that much of that, so at least I'll have time to do it properly when it comes back. <laughs> I just thought it, one- I thought it was a one-off, and I was astonished that they stuck with it. But anyway, yes, yeah, very 80s, isn't it? Yeah. So let me take you back in time. So this is it's
0: the 2nd and the 9th of February, 1985. Good Lord. And the National Union of Mine Workers is in the middle of a strike. So between March 1984 and March 1985, for a whole year, the uh, the mine workers were on strike and this aired just, you know, right towards the end of that. So, I, I mean, I don't know how much that was in the thinking of, of Pip and Jane Baker when they wrote it. It depends whether they wrote it in, in sort of late 84 or whether they were already going by then. And the other, other aspect of my meager research is, is that Killingworth is a real place
3: mm-hmm. and
0: Ravensworth was indeed Stevenson's employer.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Ah! He, was. he wasn't He was Lord Ravensworth until I think 1821 Which must put it 1822-ish
0: mm-hmm. Either that or Pip and Jane
2: are, are, are sort of slightly off the mark mm-hmm.
3: I'm, I'm just gobsmacked at you saying that this aired the 2nd and 9th of February Because exactly one month before this I was at Queen Elizabeth Country Park with my friend Tim Wearing Watching them oh, yeah. filming uh, bits of Revelation Oh right and I'm thinking, that is, seems like such a fast turnaround that they were, yeah, they started airing the season and they were still filming, they were doing location filming for Revelation. But maybe that's just in terms of these, these days where we got used to such so much longer lead times.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, following on the historical theme, I discovered that Stevenson and, and Humphrey Davy were actually at loggerheads. So they they wouldn't really have been speaking because they both simultaneously invented the Miner's Lamp. And essentially Humphrey Davy accused Stevenson of having ripped it off because as a commoner he couldn't possibly have had the intelligence to invent it. <laughs> Whereas of course Davy was a gentleman. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and thus sort of felt that um, invention was, was his domain. And, and Michael Faraday was, was Humphrey Davy's assistant. So Again, I mean, I'm not saying that, that there couldn't have been a meeting between Faraday, Davy, and Stevenson, but it feels like it would have been pretty uh, tense. Mm, interesting.
3: Yes.
0: I have been to the, um, wherever this was filmed, I try, uh, it would be good if I could Blister. remember. Blists, Blist's Hill? That's right, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, my, my wife worked for a year in Shropshire, so I sort of headed oh. over in that direction at weekends, and, and we went down there once.
3: I thought you were going to say she ran a bathhouse at Bliss Hill. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I mean, you know, uh, that, that, that would have been more exciting, wouldn't it? So we, we know it's being filmed in a theme park, but it does feel a bit like it's being filmed in a theme park. Mm. I, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know what the experience of being a mine worker was, and, and, and certainly it's a, it's a pit village, I suppose, rather than in the middle of a town. But it, I don't know, it, it's, it's bloody hard work being a miner. And it, it just feels a little bit too much like a picnic at times.
1: Strange, isn't it? What do you think that is? I remember, <clears throat> I always remember um, Julia Smith, producer of EastEnders, went on a field trip to Granada Studios when she was setting up EastEnders and had a look around the sets for Sherlock Holmes and Coronation Street mm. and came back with the conclusion that they didn't look real mm. because they weren't dirty enough. There was no litter, no muck, no grime, no soot, uh, no weeds. And that's what she encouraged the set designers of EastEnders to fill it with. Mm. and Which is isn't. I mentioned that <laughs> because... <laughs> It, that isn't the case here. It's not that it's not dirty enough. There's enough uh, muck all over people's faces and clothes. Yeah. At times, I wonder if it's a bit overdone, though. Does it look like it's peasant chic <laughs> at times? Mm. The elegantly distressed fabrics uh,
2: all over the show. Everything's very uniformly scruffy. I, 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 it's, It's funny, Richard, saying about the sort of feel and believability of it. It never feels like a genuine community I don't think mm. and it has that same sort of feel as Mask of filmed in Port Marion. I mean they do very well to try and frame things nicely but you never get any sense that it's a, a real functioning village mm. and I don't know whether like you say it's a pit village it's not a it's not a village in the in the conventional sense as far as I know but yeah there's a feeling of a lack of authenticity to it strangely is
1: Bliss Hill a completely recreational? Does or is it adapted from
2: genuine original mining? I think structures? it was an original location, a original right. functioning place. I meant to look up where Pip and Jane envisaged it being shot because they wrote it specifically for a a similar working museum right. type location in South Wales. And mm. it was Sarah Hellings who switched it to Blist Hill and Blist Hill didn't have some of the Functioning items in Pip and Jane's script, like uh, I think it was a switching track and uh, overhead trucks or something like that. Right. So Eric mm-hmm. Sayward had to restructure some of the material to refit it to Bliss's Hill. Ah. I, mean,
3: I know they read the crew the crew had to spend a lot of time setting up their own miniature gauge railway for the for the scene with Colin going going for oh, his crumbs, hilltop, Do they <laughs> apparently?
1: Right. Which is strange because it does have the feel sometimes of a story that's been written to a shopping list of, of features that were available on the location. Mm, so it was yeah. ironic that it was, and mm. then they had to recreate them all <laughs> in a completely different location. That's kind of the worst of both worlds.
3: Mm. Yeah, I had the same response. My first note on this was really, especially based on the first five minutes, well, it's all a bit television for schools, isn't it? Mm. It kind of looks mm. like some of those things that we would be... How we used to live. Yes, exactly. Something you'd be, all be shuttled into the um, assembly room mm-hmm. for, and they'd wheel out the telly, and you'd watch that for half an hour.
1: It's a shame. I feel really churlish picking on that because, of course, it is a much richer looking location than we normally get. Yeah. And it oh, is absolutely. much absolutely. Yes. Authentic. Yeah. yeah. It's not studio bound, and it's and mm. it's not a hurriedly redressed exterior location that has no mm. authentic features. So it feels churlish, and yet you know we're just saying what we we, we can feel it, can't we? We pick up on it straight mm. away, and as some of that. Have, French and Saunders House of Idiots style um, field with the extras walking past, pushing their,
2: <laughs> pushing their equipment. Yeah. There's one child that runs directly past the main characters and then just stops by a fence and stands and turns around <laughs> and just looks. It's like it's, a, <laughs> like it's an android just programmed to run back and forth along the same bit of street. Oh, no, there's a much better story. Westworld. Wow. Mm. Oh, no, stop yeah. it. That- yeah. <laughs> I think the issue is it feels conspicuously used, the setting. You very much feel in the um, cinematography, look what we've got. And I think they kind of overplay their hand a bit. Yeah, it's nice and it's expansive, but it draws your attention to it so much that Hmm. it sort of invites a little too much scrutiny. But then, like you say, they can't win because if it's impressive, it makes the audience ask, how was this accomplished, where was this shot? And if it's not very good, then people say, well, you know, they couldn't get a real Victorian village. So, yeah, it's churlish. You're right. Mm. We're bad people.
0: Yeah, I mean, in a way, I guess I, I wish I had perhaps been a bit less nitpicky to, to kick things off, because I have to say, I found it a pretty entertaining story. I, I mean, we I purposely picked one that was a bit shorter this time than, than, than the last time. I mean, we, we we put ourselves through the ringer a bit with with Ambassadors, although, again, a story that I love. And mm. um, Mark of the Rani, I, I think, it's one of the ones from Colin's era that's, that's quite accessible. Mm. And it bit, went along at a nice pace, I, I, you know, I really... I quite enjoyed it, but it, but I, it's one of those ones that in the end I couldn't help nitpicking here and there, just because there are a few nits to pick, I suppose.
2: I think it starts strongly, yeah, and then gets into trouble. I, I think the first episode w- works really well, and mm. there's lots of setup and intrigue. Although I found the Doctor's interest in the situation was strangely over overenthusiastically. Uh,
0: yeah, he seemed to understand that he was going into an adventure and he should be looking out for clues a mm. bit. You know, he, he starts talking about the, the course of the attack. You know, he doesn't really think they're real Luddites, even, even at the, initially, and I, I don't know that there was anything that was obviously giving that away.
2: Yeah, he's, there were Luddites acting mm. normally for Luddites and a red dot, and he jumped to the conclusion there was some extraordinary mystery to unwrap it's sort of the inversion of the uh, the slow to catch on trope of when normally your Mm. protagonist is uh tripping over clues (laughs) (laughs) isn't
3: that set up though that they 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 are drawn off course from heading for q as we know so so there's some justification in the fact that he might be looking out for time medallish shenanigans so i I suppose it's understandable who does the drawing of course is that the master
1: Yes. yes. With his, yeah. Spare yeah. me the dubious pragmatism, Giles. <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 Damn, we didn't get the klaxon. <laughs> I think the function of the master in the story feels, you mentioned it a shopping list type story before, and it, I think, does come to that at times, and the master mm. not having any particular role, the fact that he was a, a request on the shopping list. Hmm. I think, feels obvious at times. But also, him and the Rani provides the episode's best bits, I think. Mm. Mm. Their meeting is excellent and believable. And um, villains not being just pointlessly villainous is always good. Mm. Their two-way sparring and later the three-way sparring
1: with the Doctor is definitely the the best bit. And it's difficult to really imagine what it would have been like if there was a version without the Master. Mm. Because Mm. the Rani doesn't get a lot to do you may think he's badly served just skulking around in the shadows for three-quarters of the story, but she's mostly confined to her bathhouse, um, <clears throat> flicking switches for most mm. of it. So it's difficult to imagine that there was a version of the story with only one character doing all of that. Mm. Mm. I don't know what Anthony and Amy thought, but I, th- I think they, they do re- both come out of it reasonably well. Because as I
3: understand it from the from reading the production notes, while I was watching it. So that my understanding is that the Vani was... Initially, the idea was they were going to give the Master a companion in the same sense as, you know, the Doctor has one oh, all, all the right. time. And then when they came up with the idea of casting Kate O'Mara, they got the idea that, no, let's make her an independent agent, mm-hmm. have a female Time Lady who is a renegade. So it's funny that, that in that regard, in terms of the structure, it's kind of funny that they then did that and then kept the Master... In because you'd almost think, okay, mm-hmm. why, why not have the why not give her her own run
1: to play devil's advocate? And it's obviously isn't deliberate, but he's so one dimensional in this that it does make her seem like a much more three dimensional character by mm. contrast. Mm. And they don't try and hide that, they realize that as in the and flag it up in the writing. They hang a lampshade on it, as the mm. kids call it, where the, the Rani points out how asinine and mustache twirling he is, and his, mm. his over plans which she. Lights and
2: pointing out to him, and he has no actual. He has no plan in this. He 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 draws the TARDIS off course, and then just yeah, and then what? He's standing around in a field Mm. dressed as a scarecrow, trying to think of a way to (laughs) eventually kill the Doctor. And weirdly, both he and the Doctor stumble across the Rani, who was already there minding her own business as she apparently has been all through human history which is quite interesting mm-hmm. and it's kind of fun that the master's sort of second fiddle but it's also really awkward and it really diminishes his character that he just he's at a loose end he's mm. he's just kind of going to the petrol station to buy some raw plugs and bumps into the doctor <laughs> on the way and tries to decide to kill him i don't know it's all really weird
1: the whole thing seems rather meandering to me, Very circ- one of those circular plots where it just seems we, once we've established a location, everybody just seems to be wandering around, occasionally bumping into mm. each other. That's, that's just how it feels. Yeah, the master is the epitome of that. I was going to say, that,
0: the, uh, and Gav mentioned a little bit, was, was that the episode one, it if, if seemed to me, was about the best episode one that we got in this particular season. Because we've got this this new structure of 45-minute episodes, mm. and it feels like a lot of that Colin Baker season, episode one, 45 minutes long, serves the, the purpose of a typical 25-minute episode one. And then mm. you've got episodes two, three, four squeezed into the second 45 minutes, which makes the first one seem kind of slow and padding and the last bit seem a bit rushed. Whereas yep. this one, it feels like the balance is much better and, and the, the cliffhanger in the middle is kind of in the right place. Mm. And, and there is two episodes worth of content in the first 45 minutes.
1: Mm. I, gr- I agree. I think it is one of the best exam- uses of that format. And yet I also think that the format ma- makes hobbles this slightly and means it's not as effective as it would have been. Hmm. I don't think anyone ever completely got their head around how to pace something a 45 minute episode that doesn't tell a complete story
2: hmm. Hmm. but there you go and then at episode 2 I think is where it really runs into trouble because it it just runs out of plot hmm. and again I think the, that's when the shopping list kicks in again because they had double the filming allocation so one of the requirements was just set a load of stuff outside. Mm. And so the the bit with Redfern Dell comes out of nowhere. It's just this sort of contrived non-sequitur. The Rani just mm. wanders out, starts laying landmines. And yes. at that point the, there is no plot. Th- things are just mm. happening. People <laughs> are just Yeah, drifting around and then and then mm. it reaches a low point when the pantomime trees arrive. <laughs> I mean if the if the minefield had been to to guard something like the the Rani's TARDIS was parked in the forest and she didn't want anyone getting to it or something. Mm. If there'd been a function yeah. for that, but the the fact that the plot just says everyone has to go and all converge on the dell mm. and then it gets really kind of yeah, stagey yeah. and strange.
0: I, th- I think mm. the best line is Don't move, Perry, the tree won't hurt you. <laughs> 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 Yeah. I also, I, f- I feel like that that tree is the creature from the Pit Village. <laughs>
3: no, and that tree remi- reminds me of Aster- Asterix and play. the big fights where the Roman has to go and uh, the Roman spy has to go and hide in the tree and gets followed around by an owl and is getting progressively <laughs> exasperated. while looking at it and being menaced by this owl, but uh, yeah, talking of the aimlessness, I mean, yeah, in terms of skipping to the end, I mean, that is the that does kind of put the nail on the. Hit the nail on the head. To me I it kinda of stops, but it doesn't exactly it doesn't reach a climax. There's no mm. the, that's the very odd thing about it, that there's all this there's plenty of faffing around and and then the Master home. and the the Master and the Rani beat a retreat into the Rani Stardus, they're catapulted off because the doctors sabotaged it. Which is all fair enough. But there's no sense of there's no sense of their scheme reaching a culmination or anything particularly.
1: I'm going to have to ask for your help again here, um, so sorry about this. I mm. kind of lost track of whose plan was whose. Now, I got the impression, obviously, that Rani had a plan, and mm. the master turned up, as was pointed out, without one, and decided trying to try and hijack hers. Mm. But I kind, kind of got lost in the confusion of whose was whose. What was the Rani's original plan? She was drain, collecting the brain fluid. Yes. And mm. what was she going to do with it? Take, Sh- it, home. take it home. Take it home. To Goria. Yeah. Because Apparently, her... so she just came to Earth for no particular reason to. No, it's the only place in the universe oh. with the right brain fluid. Of course. Oh, thank it God is. for okay. that. And yes. it's the, and it's the master. Right. So side note here, it's the master who wants to take advantage of the gathering of intellectuals. Mm. And yes. And take them off somewhere and use them to, for his nefarious purposes to take over the universe. So that's yes. interesting,
0: isn't it? Because it, it it it's a Pip and
1: Jane Baker trope. Yeah. One might say, isn't it? So yeah, that that's the plot of Time and the Rani. Yeah.
3: The, the Rani ne- then nicks his plan and does it in time of the Rani herself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was about
1: yeah. to, com- to criticise Pip and James for reusing the same <laughs> idea, and then I thought, well, I suppose if they'd actually thought of linking it. Hmm. Uh, is it there in the subtext that this is where she thinks of that, or is it just a. or are they just ripping themselves off? And- no, yeah, let's, it, 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 let's be charitable be. and take that interpretation. <laughs> yeah. The Master gives her his great idea.
2: I mean, the Master doesn't have that plan at the outset, does he? He formulates it yeah. halfway through. But actually, hmm. doesn't he say he's going to. Kill George Stevenson rather than do anything useful. Well, th-
1: that would be the King's Demons version of the master, who just wants to, who is a poor man's time meddler and mm. just wants to turn up at minor points in British history and bugger things up a bit.
0: Yeah, I mean the other problem with this geniuses thing is I'm not sure that they are. In the I mean George <laughs> George Stevenson is a really good engineer. There's no question about mm. it. Humphrey Davy was a was a great gentleman, but I think to be honest, a lot of his you know career was behind him by this period hmm. michael faraday perhaps is the faradays he's, where he's the, co- the, the, great, yeah. the the greatest claim but i'm but yeah I'm, and they only mentioned those three but there's hmm. 20 others i don't i don't know uh, or t- i don't know who the other 17 are that that make up this this collection hmm. of great geniuses but they seem to have of uh, sort of run out of people to talk about once they got to those it's three. quite
3: interesting to imagine them in you know in, in light of where pop culture's gone in the however many 40 odd years it is since this aired, yeah. Now it's quite intriguing to imagine the um the master's steampunk empire that he would have forged with these using these yeah. geniuses. Presumably it would have all been airships a go go.
1: Yeah.
2: It's strange. I always start this story thinking it's going to be about this meeting of great minds and the master's attempt mm. to sabotage it, and I always yeah. forget. That not only does that meeting not actually happen, we only meet one of the people of the great minds, and it and it mm. isn't the master's plan, and it's really yeah. odd. It's really odd.
1: And they don't even that one person doesn't contribute anything of his genius to the plot in any way. No. So mm. while I always hate to criticize a story for not being something for for what it isn't, it really does seem like it's more than a missed opportunity to not to use Stevenson in some way or mm. or or steam, or rockets, or genius. Mm. But none of it. He's ultimately just window dressing like as much as H.G. Well, he's not as bad as H.G. Wells. You know, it's, mm. it's in the same line. It's not a celebrity historical as in any way. It's not only not built around him. Because it's also
3: a waste of Gorn Granger, who's terrific, and he turns he turns up and he is rather... I, I thought, oh, he's rather good, isn't he? And he's kind of got a... There's an energy to his performance that's kind of matching mm. Collins. And you think, oh, this is good. They're going to bounce off each other and, you know, we're going to have quite a bit of them sparking off each other. Hmm. And then, now he has to go off and just be another part, you know, moving around and doing I don't quite know what, really, most of the time. I mean,
1: I still prefer it to that Tesla episode from the other year, <laughs> but um, on balance. But at least that had some electricity in it. <laughs> this scene doesn't even have any steam in it. It's just so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Stevenson should have
2: invented a steam gun to detonate the tree mines or something to prove himself <laughs> useful mm. or the tree mines could have belched steam and prompted him to invent the steam engine i don't know mm. th-
1: one thing there is it's a lot of extraneous detail on botany and the plant life of the northeast which uh, i can only see in pip and jane rameter gardeners mm. but there's far more in there than there needs to be oh, possibly also they were trying to give perry something to exactly. do exactly at least they yeah. remember that perry is
3: Supposedly a botanist. Yeah. They're the only people that... that's yeah. one yeah.
1: thing they were quite good at. They would mm. they would they used to read the character descriptions, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> which is more yeah. than half the writers did.
3: Yeah. The other thing that's nice is they do actually nail a quite nice relationship between the Doctor and Perry. And it's not as antagon- antagonistic as a lot of a lot of the rest of this series, and you feel okay,
1: these are people who could spend time with each other. <laughs> I need to be reminded of that, because I think when I w- if you watch it in context, that's very obvious. Hmm. But watching it out of context, I was still thinking, that, oh my God, why are you writing them like that? But um, hmm. yes, I mean, definitely. As, as, yeah. um, as Richard said, it's more accessible than most of the other stories this season. Hmm. It's, it seems strange to think that an accessible story is one which has three time laws discussing um, <laughs> Gallifreyan history. But
2: that's, this, that's the 80s point. <laughs> Generally, I'm entrenched in the 1960s, so I haven't watched an 80s episode for a good few months. And it it is startling how unkind he is to her throughout Mm. the episode. And just picking her up on her vocabulary and making fun of her accent and just making her out as useless. And then when there's the bit at the end where where he says, what do you two do in there? And he says, argue mainly. And you think, well, (laughs) this is a really dysfunctional relationship. She (laughs) clearly hates it. What is mm. she doing there? Why doesn't she just, I don't know, bail out, mm. go home?
3: Well, it's ironic. So, you, you you, two have just completely had exactly the opposite reaction to <laughs> what I had, which is basically the, my recollection. Yeah, sorry. So, so <laughs> clearly, no, it's, it's fine. It's just interesting that clearly my recollection of season 22, which I have to say I shy so far away from when I can, my recollection of season 22. Is clearly that it's like the tw- <laughs> it's constantly like the twin dilemma for you know for thirteen weeks or whatever. So so when I see something like
1: Time and I think, oh, aren't they getting on nicely <laughs> compared <laughs> to um, <laughs> compared to how I imagined? I agree. I agree. I just think that I think the rest of it's worse. Mm. Here, so <laughs> that's <laughs> how they get you.
2: they they ho- when they're horrible all the time. When they're slightly less horrible to you, mm. you think, mm. oh, they're being really nice.
1: Yeah, uh, I might have to bail on Attack yeah. of the Cybermen. I don't think I can cope with ever watching.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah.
1: Mm.
0: So, so do you think it's do you think it's Stockholm syndrome, Charles? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there is a moment when old sixties down by the canal or wherever it is. He starts patting children on the head, going on about Perry's pretty dress uh, and her peripheral vision, and I just feel like she's going to push him in, surely she's going to push him in. <laughs> he deserves to
1: be pushed in, but somehow she manages to, to you
0: know withstand that and and she's a bigger person for it.
1: A sentiment I'd reciprocate
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean one has to perhaps discuss the accents; they really are very game, they really give it a cracking good mm. go at doing uh, geordie accents but it is a blooming hard accent it's 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 much harder i think than uh, south wales in in the green death which they you know probably make an equal hash Mm. of in that in that but yeah you know they they go at it with great gusto but unfortunately particularly kate omara it's it it was it wasn't one of the ones that they got in their uh, um, elocution lessons in rada or or wherever they, they came from
1: Mm. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, obviously, I'm not qualified to say whether it's accurate or not, but it <laughs> it just it does sound weird, doesn't it? Mm. The latest in my series of random recollections of what I, what I was watching earlier this evening. I was watching Last Tango in Halifax this evening, which is set up north. Yeah. Oh yes, and I was just yeah, yeah. you know just when I was thinking maybe my perhaps it's my fault. My ears aren't attuned to the many wonderful accents we have uh, up near Hadrian's Wall. Mm. But no, ha- Last Tango in Halifax was not perfectly natural, which of course it is. And this sounds like the cast of Grange Hill being asked to do Biker Grove.
2: <laughs> There's a strange quality to the performances that, that makes it worse: is that they're not just doing the accent, but they're they're really overdoing it. Mm. And when that guy says "Hold hard," yeah. mocking the master, I mean, it's really uncomfortable.
1: Hold uh, hard.
2: Yeah, it's it's, a, it's Ooh, hold hard. That's it's, it's a strong choice. Well, you've
1: got you've got a lot of things that rather actors aren't. Yes. Really, as you said, trained for. You they're trying to be working class, they're trying to be butch and masculine and they're trying to be jolly. <laughs> and um, when you're fading on all three of those Until the Rani puts them
3: in those nice gilets yeah. for the um you So know.
1: considering half what feels like half the story is the is the Luddites running around. And mm. they're the bits that make my teeth itch. Mm. Well, but,
3: this is the thing, that they you have the master and the Rani and then they, they just mostly hang around and bicker bicker with each other and instead of doing anything active most of that is left to the assorted geordies or assorted faux geordies isn't it i think that's why it feels a bit energy
2: less part of the problem comes from the fact that there's a strange kind of not a lack of threat but the worry about what the rani is up to is somewhat undermined by the fact she says she's been doing it all through history so once you Mm -hmm. once it's been established that that this is her normal pattern and that um, she was hanging around during the myth makers and might have been in the background of William Hartnell's scenes. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's, 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 you kind of think, okay, so <laughs> so she's part of the tapestry of history and mm. we can now blame the Luddite riots on her just as we blame the Trojan Wars on her. So should she be stopped? You know, it's like the Meddling Monk comments oh. about Stonehenge. Uh, it It got built because of him. So mm. if you went back in time and came across him at Stonehenge, you wouldn't be obliged to stop him. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's, it, it's a sort of impotent threat, if that's not a contradiction in terms. Um, that's mm. why it's one of my least
1: favourite tropes in Doctor Who, the idea. It tends to be new writers and non-science fiction-y people who think, well, I know what I'll do. I know, it's a programme about time travel. I'll have my villain having been responsible for mm. every import. And as you say, it just... Um, We'll to lead you up a narrative, a new <laughs> of in in
3: impossible astronaut.
2: <laughs> I suppose that I suppose that it's the combination of her, her villainous scheme, if not being harmless, can probably be allowed to continue, and the master not having a villainous scheme, and mm. between them, they're just kind of meandering through this story and then they leave and it's mm. just the, you're it's a a that you're saying
1: that it's the doctor is the one that makes it all worse when he turns up it would have been fine if he hadn't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i i rather like terence alexander in this
0: i mean he, yeah i think he's, he's charlie hungerford indeed he's, mm. he's 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 not handicapped Jim, by Jim. trying to to put on a, on a geordie accent Jim, Jim. He, he, he just kind of plays it as himself i guess and but he's got a nice big part, and he's mm. quite sympathetic, and he kind of, you know, it's he, those I mean, Regency trousers—you can't <laughs> disguise it, can you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's, he's another—he's another person who, who doesn't seem to have an awful lot to do, but but at least he has a nice time doing it. Mm. Yes, yes, he holds it together. Yeah, I, I, and I think you know you were you were talking about the the acting of the—I mean, part of the problem also is that Pip and Jane put this the and thou stuff in there, which I'm sure is entirely period accurate, but it just feels kind of awkward when they're having... It, it, it's it's not the sort of 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 language or dialogue the actors are used to, and they don't quite know what to do with it, I think.
1: There's hmm. always a back and forth on that, isn't it? Th- uh, th- throughout the entire history of the programme, there's the question of how people speak in historical stories, and nowadays they've completely abandoned any attempt to try and make it authentic. Yeah. They just speak yeah. like modern people, so mm. that we can actually relax and identify with them so there's not this artificial barrier hmm. yeah. but it was always on and off wasn't it i mean yeah there's stories like the Mythmakers back in the 60s where people spoke like real people hmm. yeah and i tend to think they're the better for it but it depends what you're hmm. trying to achieve yeah. But, yeah well i guess with the mythmakers, say... i
0: mean you can't have them speaking greek can you <laughs> no uh, but if they're, and if they're going to speak english then i suppose they might as well speak english you can understand than english you can't understand mm. Mm
3: that gives the mythmakers the impression of being very Douglas Adamsy in its mm. way doesn't it i've always had that impression because people in history times talking in that sort of way mm. but i uh, know it's a difficult balance I that's i remember the thing with uh, ripper street when they mm. they wanted to get they wanted to sort of have a sense of distancing on that i think the screenwriters and they so they ended up writing a lot of it in iambic pentameter so mm. going in terms of the rhythms of the language, they just because they kind of going to Victorian stuff was not you know sort of they looked at Victorian speech patterns as best they could and concluded, so, no this isn't odd enough, and this isn't distanced enough, and so they they kind of went went full Shakespearean for it, which is odd and anachronistic, but yeah
1: I think on some level that our brains were are wired through a lifetime of familiarity with Shakespeare to think that that makes something. Mm. because something yet the edge of classical semi-classical authenticity like so mm. yes yeah
3: yeah that's <laughs> a prime
1: example
3: mm. uh the other i was going to introduce this by saying hold well hold hard but it's too yeah. late <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that you can't uh you have to remember when you're looking at this through a lens is brass brass oh Curious. yeah <laughs> yeah, which which have been on. I mean, we've got Gary Cady, who actually turns up in this episode, uh, and then James Saxon turns up as Oscar in the Two Doctors oh, yes. next week. And um, yeah, we don't get Timothy West, do we? Um, but yeah, and considering Brass uh, had apparently been on starting in 1983, I'm reliably informed by IMDb, and considering how much that was that was sent mercilessly sending up the tropes of. There's been an accident down pit, mm-hmm. with a uh, what? Yeah, Jeffrey Hin- Jeffrey Hinsliff getting pre- progressively more maimed from week to week. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah, it added another level of this being rather hard to take entirely seriously. At least for me, because I was a big brass fan.
0: Is is it a unique story in that the the title is mentioned twice in the dialogue? I mean, we oh, we really? have the odd one where it comes up, you know, once. But yeah, the, both in the first and the second episode, somebody pauses and looks at the red blotch and goes <laughs> the mark of the Rani. Right.
1: I'd have probably noticed that if I watched it on the same day. Is that because they um, identified, knew they had to, had to put that in, identified a couple of potential candidates and then left them both there by mistake? Yes it is. That's why I, <laughs> I asked them earlier.
2: I think you have to qualify the story title more specifically in terms of its structure because there's Plenty of, you know, robot I'm sure they say robot a lot in robot, and terminus a lot in Terminus and Kinder a lot in Kinder, but <laughs> certainly the more florid titles, like The Talons yeah. of Wang Chang, mm. which Well when they get dropped in yeah. resonate. Without
1: getting ahead of ourselves, but I mean Gators has a lot of fun with that in the next one, doesn't he? Mm. he um yes. very self consciously. Mm. Was this the story that's originally called Too Clever by Half? Or is that it I know that's a different genuine title. title. Right. it's so. very them, isn't it? And <laughs> Mark of the Rani sounds like Saywood to me. Mm. So, perhaps he put them both in and forgot to take them out. Is that it? Have
0: we got more? I've, I've got loads more Gold. from
1: Jane Quotes that I haven't had a crowbar in. <laughs> 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 mm. The, the Rani's
3: classic. TARDIS is very nice, isn't it? It's quite a fun oh, thing. Oh, yes. Yes. yeah, yeah. Nice that, it's design. A and again, it's, it's so sort the of the visuals you know
1: again it, it looks it looks good and it, it carries through from the starts a trend of of guest appearance guest tardises for just a single story being better than the main one mm. the, the doctor's TARDIS, which continues to this day does it not mm. yes it mm. does yes. <laughs>
3: well apparently they did put it into storage intending to use it mm. in the rani yeah. story the next year which presumably would have been the fever, and how to cure. Yellow yeah, it. um,
1: But they put it in that same corner where they'd put the um, the doctor's wooden tiles isn't it warped? Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they still hadn't fixed the damp. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, the same corner that they managed to lose most of the stuff between. Um, uh, gosh, this would be a great anecdote if I could remember story titles: <laughs> Mission to the Unknown and Dalek Master Plan. Mm.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, so much for your arrogant superiority. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seamless. Mm. So tenuous. <laughs> yeah, well. Give me the brain fluid. I'm off. Fortuitous would be a more appetite episode. <laughs> yes. Come on, I had to. I had to try that. Someone so say bingo and put me out of my misery. <laughs> Where's the one that I
0: like the like the best? It'll be something devious and overcomplicated. He'd get dizzy walking in a straight line. <laughs> That's actually quite good. That one. You see, that's Is quite it? good. Yeah. Oh,
3: I wouldn't cut that out. Mm. <laughs> it's funny; it varies. Mm. And the baby T. Rex. It's funny. I I remembered being quite impressed with that, in <laughs> at the time, and I'm actually watching it now. Still, I kind of think, okay, the memory didn't cheat. I know, mean, okay, it's a, it's a 1980s effect, but it's actually not bad for as far as you see it go. Mm. So far as it wouldn't look all that out of place in Walking with Dinosaurs or. Something like that, I guess. It's not embarrassing on the level of certain other puppet dinosaurs that we could mention. (laughs) It kind
1: of helps. They cut off when it's still basically a little more than fetal. Yes, yeah. Because you can't... Mm. It's a bit...
2: mm. But yes, you're right.
1: Mm.
2: It always worries me that the embryo fluid is not all the way to the top. I know she's topping it up, but (laughs) it just just bothers me that the top of its head's drying out, and I'm worried (laughs) that (laughs) it's not (laughs) okay. Yeah. I nearly no, bought play, that T-Rex embryo about a year <laughs> yeah. or two ago. Now, yeah. <laughs> no, is it?
0: It's, what, uh, t- it's an okay condition. What did they want for it? Mm-hmm.
2: I can't remember now, but it was obviously, <laughs> it was obviously <laughs> a bit too much for even one of my insane moments of self-indulgence. Right. Mm-hmm. But I just thought, yeah. I like dinosaurs, I like Doctor Who. Yeah. I could own a dinosaur from Doctor Who. That was yeah. my, that and, was and, and, and entire... not the ones from invasion <laughs> of the dinosaurs. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Um. Well, there we go. What's the conclusion?
1: and you were
3: outbid by mysterious man from Wigan. Did they uh,
0: <laughs> did they record these out of sequence? Because um, Colin's using Troughton's old coin tossing trick at one point in the in the tunnels. Is, is this after they've been together, or is, or did he just? Or Has did, anyone did got squ- a suntan? Did That's say would remember it. I don't know. It, it, it seemed kind of interesting.
3: They switched the running order. I know th- I remember picking that up, but I don't know whether they switched it before or after filming.
0: Okay, what's well, another great observation from the team? <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> Cuz apparently JNT turned up on location having just come back from Singapore doing his holiday come location scout. Tax deductible. <laughs> that was an excuse to make it a tax deductible jaunt. So I don't know which one they actually filmed first, but there's a couple of connections because there's also the um the whole TARDIS remote control thing. The yeah, so you're right. Which yeah. the, the Rani has one, and then the second Doctor yes. gets one in the next, and the Doctor, sixth Doctor, come in. So you know, I've always wanted one of those. Yeah, ever since well, at least since the
0: last episode, ago. anyway. Yeah,
1: mm. yeah. I've hmm. I've got one more now. I meant to, I kept meaning to talk about the hand. Use of handheld camera on location, but I never found I. I, Well, no, no, I can tell this can go very badly. I should have crowbarred it in somewhere. Yeah, well, crowbar it in there. Did you notice that first-time director Sarah Helling uses a lot of handheld camera on location? Isn't it gives it an unusual feel, doesn't it? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and i was wondering about an hour i was wondering about an hour ago if that was part of the reason that the uh location feels a bit weird because i don't know do we instinctively expect slow pans uh, static shots are the best as slow pan on a dolly mm. in in a classical historical mm. setting and the use of a handheld camera makes it seem too modern it makes it feel like mm. it's, it should be on videotape and it's a documentary mm. Mm. I, I i was unsure about the worth this observation so i didn't bring it up when it would have fitted no in. i think that's actually
0: <laughs> an interesting point paul because there, there is this kind of weird thing that if you're actually time traveling and you go <laughs> into the past yeah it's it's now isn't it it, it doesn't matter that it's yeah. a long time ago it's now for you hmm. so there's no reason why it should look any different from now no it's just we've got and it's it also in not heads. in black and white <clears throat> oddly yeah well so i'm told so the <laughs> physicists <laughs> tell me yeah. i've said no proof I remember the precise moment the world changed from black and white to (laughs) colour. It was it was it was just at the start of the Green Death. Anyway, sorry, we we
2: we digress. Uh, The Master kills a dog at one point. We could talk about that. He does Ah. does kill a dog. It's it's, it's particularly brutish, isn't it? Mm. Actually, we've got no proof that his tissue compression eliminator kills people. It may all the shrunken people. They may just be asleep and dazed for a period of time and then is they... just sleeping yeah but they may get up and wander off and live happy lives planet of fire the mast, the master's small and he's not dead is he yeah
3: mm. good point
2: so maybe there's a miniature dog around mm. Blist hill somewhere
3: so no one told sarah hellings how the tissue compression eliminator worked mm. well that was that was what no. they said in, that's what they said in the production notes nobody told no. her how it works and that's why it's just a gun that's why people just vanish but oh crikey. To my mind that's hang on, nobody told Pip and Jane how tissue confession well, yeah. works. Because surely that yeah. will be in the script if you're gonna see the miniature. Maybe it's Indeed. because
1: they thought the horror of a shrunken dog would be too much <laughs> for the children in the audience to bear. Yes. So it just has to should have track. turned it into Chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> what a whimsical notion, John. I mean maybe they just disappear into the <laughs> into the crap. Yeah, he's turned up the setting to eleven or so, twelve and mm, now they yeah. disappear. Yeah. To Ant-Man's size, ah. yeah. it feels quite stylish at times.
0: Visually, I quite liked the, the look of it. Hmm. I mean, you know, the sort of chocolate boxy feel side of it. It felt nice and fresh. It was. It, uh, I thought Sarah Hollings made you know made an impact
1: on on the series in it. I should make it clear. I understand why the handheld camera was there. It gives it a lot of energy, especially yeah, yeah. in the action in the action scenes. I mean, Indeed. I don't hmm. wish to complain. We've seen far too many statically
2: directed action scenes.
1: Yeah, the endless luddite business would have been even less
2: bearable the studio Mm. stuff uh is often really sort of uncomfortable and stagey and there's less of that in the film sequence I wonder if she was more comfortable shooting and editing on film because there's all kinds of moments where the blocking's really bad it looks very stagey where people move towards each other and then stop and there's a bit where the Rani's trying to grab her box of maggots off the master and he's just there and she's sort of reaching for him
1: Mm. Gav, Gav.
2: Hi.
1: I happen to know that Sarah Hellings joined the BBC as a film editor. Oh,
2: oh there nice. you go. So you've,
1: you've, you've latched onto something there.
2: She was obviously much more comfortable with the handheld stuff, yeah. That was the rumour. Hmm. <laughs> How
0: dare you. You can't follow that. Mm, so no. <laughs> she, yes. Unless
2: it's with the Crimson Horror. Pip and Jane are in danger of actually having a theme, a consistently interesting theme, which is man versus nature. You mentioned Perry actually using some botany knowledge and it seemed like they'd just uh, been doing some research in their writing, but there's the, the comment about the the hedgerows and uh, there's a few yeah. other bits oh, about yes. um, yeah. the importance of things and stuff. <laughs> yeah and in conclusion yes. <laughs> so so
0: are you then saying that, that that's carried through into the sort of plant characters within the following season the trial of the time or the vervoids.
2: That's an interesting point. Yeah, because they were they they'd read some new scientists and that's where they got their, their brain juice idea uh, the sleeping sleeping stuff. I watched a Star Trek the other day um oh, Night yeah. Terrors. Okay. Exactly the same exactly the same. Hey, don't you start slugging Star Trek off. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it earlier just before Last Time in
1: Halifax. That's how I roll.
2: Yeah. What? Night terrors.
1: Eclectic isn't the word. That's gaitus again.
2: Uh, no, Next Generation episode, Night terrors. People turn violent because they aren't getting enough REM sleep. Right. And I just happened to see that the other day so it was curious that there was the oh, same plot. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, Pip and Jane, reading New Scientist picked up this idea. I don't know quite what they're saying. I mean, it's just a sort of experimental idea about humans and plants all part you know, the, all all not being of equal merit, but that the Rani's sort of her morality is that she just sort of doesn't care, she's not evil, she just mm. has a different holistic view on things.
0: Yeah. What the the the, the catharsis of spirits morality that's a wrong story, isn't it?
1: Sorry, go mm, on. I was just thinking we should have talked about that a bit. <clears throat> there would have been um after I mentioned now the master being so one dimensional made her look different and that would have been the time to talk about the amorality. Which they do they over-explain it a bit, but I mean, it's a, it's a nice idea, isn't it? I'm also going to talk about how um, she makes a really good impression in this one. That although she's not grandstanding as a villain, the fact that she is often just getting on with her work yes. is, some, is something distinctive in itself. Mm. And then her costume, and then when she you know, sheds the disguise fully and she's striding around in her silver costume, it's actually one of the least tasteless costumes we've seen in this in 1985, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's quite striking. She's just camp enough. She's got that sort of ex dynasty glamour, but it's not being overdone, whereas unfortunately in time and the Rani, both the costume and the makeup and everything's gone a bit too far it's that direction hasn't it mm-hmm. but it's a very impressive debut and it's a shame it wasn't followed through on
0: okay, so if if we if we change gear then, next up we've got crimson horror or the crimson horror. I guess so. Yes. Um By Mark Gatiss, directed by Saul Metstein. Metstein? Metstein? mm mm-hmm. Which apparently is the hundredth story of, of New Doctor Who. So oh. Something told me earlier today.
1: The stones of blood of New Doctor Who. Mm. Apparently. Right. Is there a deleted scene with a, with a birthday cake? <laughs> I said that in a Strax voice for some reason. Yeah, yeah. With,
0: with, with, um, with Mr. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Mm. So this is set in, in Yorkshire in 1893. I mean, uh, I don't want to start carping from the very beginning, but <laughs> I, I may have to point out that Yorkshire is the largest county in England, so describing something as being in Yorkshire isn't really narrowing it down all that much. Uh, I'm going to suggest it's perhaps the West Riding, if only because it feels like Sweetville is a sort of mashup of, of Bourneville and Saltaire, and Saltaire hmm. is definitely in the West Riding. Aha. Uh-huh. So uh, I'm, I'm going to nail that as the pr- probable location, sort of somewhere outside Bradford. Well, that's um, a weight
1: off my mind. <laughs>
3: yeah, I'm glad. I'm mm. glad. Diana Vick came from Doncaster as well, didn't she? So, and famously... Oh, g- good knowledge. ...got to use her uh, <laughs> native accent.
0: Yeah, I mean, something good had to come out of Doncaster, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, that's, that's my Yorkshire prejudice. It's the wrong side of the uh, M62. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh God, he's off the leash, listeners.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's the other end of the nineteenth century. I, I, I mean, I, I remembered them both as being nineteenth century, but but they are uh, from opposite ends of it. It's it's a second outing, I think, for the Paternoster Gang, or at least if they're in their Victorian setting. I suppose they've all they've been in season six as well. So what struck me about this one, which I really quite enjoyed. I mean, I, 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 so, I, so I'll say like every other piece of Doctor Who that we've ever done on this. I'd almost completely forgotten it. I mean, I remembered it was set in Yorkshire. that, that was a, a, a sort of Industrial Revolution kind of setting to it. But I, th- I thought it was, it, was, it was a very fun episode. But it's this, this interesting aspect to it that, basically, the Doctor and Clara have messed up badly this time. And if it wasn't for the fact that that bloke, in his dying moment, stumbles in to the Doctor and coincidentally gets the image imprinted on his eye which then, Madame Hadastra happens to see. Mm. That's it for them. That's that's the end of Doctor Who, isn't it?
1: <laughs> that is. Oh, it's a very good point, and you've also ruined it for me now. <laughs> I'm just now furiously crossing out all the all the notes. I've got about why this is so good. Is clearly trash of the of the lowest order. No, I, think what a good it, point. I think it's really good. It's just it's just in, just a point it's, that it's occurred to me. Just an observation. It's not in any way. I mean, it wouldn't be a better... I'm just thinking now. It wouldn't be in any way a better story if the Doctor had somehow cleverly engineered this man to... You know, Mm. if this had been... I reckon if this had been Moffat, it Mm. would have been revealed that he had cleverly engineered to leave an imprint of his face on the retina Mm. of somebody who he knew would then come into contact. He would have engineered the entire thing. Mm. He would have travelled back in time at the end. That would not in any way have been a better story, but you've got me thinking now about... um, different approaches. I
2: like it. I love the structure.
3: There's something similar that comes up later that uh, we might touch on where, again, okay, it feels like, okay, if this had been, yeah, another writer would have taken a different choice and it's not necessarily better or worse.
2: I love the structure of this. Mm. Yeah. I, I think holding the Doctor back is really interesting. Mm. And then the non-linear way that it then catches you up is really good mm. and fun. Mm. And I like how they play yeah. with the picture format and the sound quality and all that I think it works really well I think it's overall it might be my favorite Mark Gatiss story Mm. funnily enough Mm. when I was coming back to watch this I'd completely forgotten it was a Paternoster story (laughs) I couldn't fill in the blank in my memory of what was missing but I had little to no recollection of of how it kicked off I thought it was interesting that I mean we talked about Mark Lorani being a, a shopping list but this was a Again, a story out of necessity because there were script delays with other things. So this had to form a production block with the snowmen. And as a result, they they basically made two stories for the price of one. They retained the same cast and setting and director Hmm. and set two Victorian stories and just shifted the position slightly.
1: I had no idea.
2: Yeah. So it, it wasn't conceived as a Dr. Light story, which it kind of feels like it might be... Heading towards. I was going to ask that. Yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, it was a thing of necessity.
1: There's no more than a third of the story that he's out of, is it? At the mm. most, So it wouldn't be much of a Doctor Light if it no. weren't. And weirdly. It's quite
3: Clara Light as well.
2: Well, I was just mm. going to say uh, a big chunk of Jenny's stuff was originally Clara, or it became Clara, and then it was rewritten back as Jenny. Oh, the okay. bit where ultimately Jenny is fighting the guys in the corridor. Mm-hmm. In a right. in a leather cat suit that was an Emma an Peel reference. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But that was originally Clara in a in an Emma Peel cat suit, and then they switched oh. it to Jenny. Mm. So yeah, yeah, it wasn't. Not so just it's... because.
1: Yes, Clara ever show any fighting skills ever again, or sorry, no. not again, but I mean ever. Ever. Mm.
3: Mm. Yeah. No, I'm very glad it was Jenny.
1: On the subject of um, whether you remembered it or didn't remember, I I remember almost all this, which is very unusual for new Who for me. And I think it might be, partly because I enjoyed it, partly because it's not overcomplicated. There isn't one extra twist or one gratuitous subplot that drags it down. Mm -hmm. It's all relevant and it's all good. So it delighted me as much tonight as it did at the time. I
2: think I only have one kind of nitpick, and it's only a fairly small one. And it's just that I felt the two plot points that both converged on... Being related to the venom or toxin or whatever it was called, felt yeah. like there was a bit of sleight of hand there. To because there was something slightly muddy about because Mark Gatiss wanted to do a story based on something else. Was it Carry On, Phil? People turned into mannequins, and so that that that's why you've got the bell jar preserved people.
3: Hmm. Right. Yeah. Carry On screaming happened. That doesn't something that, that happen.
2: Yeah. And they said that that process was a byproduct of a watered down version of the toxin. Is why people are being dunked into the vats, although it doesn't look very watered down. The mm. toxin is also going to be used to cause the apocalypse to wipe everything out, and it just felt a little bit crowbarred that those two came from the same place. Mm. Now you point that out. <laughs> yeah, it is
1: a bit multi purpose, muck toxin, but I didn't spot it at the time, which.
2: Yeah, it, it's fine. It's okay. It's a minor grumble, but um, I have almost nothing else. Almost nothing else negative to say about this. I think it's great. It's fun. one of those
1: stories where I really don't really care what the plot is because I'm enjoying it so much. Mm. And it's, mm. the plot is just original. It makes just enough sense yeah. to get through it. And as, as you said, Gav, the pacing, the structure, is one of the things I like most about it. I've got a feeling that there's no flabby middle here. There's mm. um, <laughs> at least one or two Gator stories where it all slows down in the middle and some people get locked and it's stuck in a room and have a boring conversation and make some bad jokes. And we don't get any of that here. Possibly because I don't think there is a middle. I think we always get like two Act 1s follow an yes, Act 3. Yeah, of I, the... was
2: say. I think the middle comes at the start. <laughs> yes. well Because that... <laughs> the Doctor starts with the Doctor locked in a room. So they just shunted the middle, put it at the start, said don't worry about all that, it's already happened, and then it picks <laughs> up the story with him escaping.
1: It's cheating, really, because we get two openers with two different... It starts off with a story about the Paternoster gang. Mm. And then when our real heroes come in, we get a a new burst of energy and a new kick Mm. up the arse. And I suppose the Paternoster gang do slightly fade away towards the end, which is a slight shame. But you've then got five leads Mm. to deal with, so that's always going to happen. But there's just enough going on. As I say, there's not too much plot, and there aren't too many characters. And even though it's very, very silly... The, I find the two villains, as in inverted commas, very plausible, as well as very entertaining, watchable, and even moving at times. It's mm. a very strange rollercoaster of emotions it takes me on. Mm. I, find, I feel very sorry for Rachel Sterling, even though she's. Gators always goes for a, some pathos, doesn't he? It? It's always a one character yeah. engineered to tug on the heartstrings. I think this is one of his best, which is interesting, given that it's one of the, the ne'er-do-wells, rather than a more obviously sympathetic character.
2: I think Rachel Sterling is absolutely brilliant in this. I think mm-hmm. she's... I, I'd remembered her in it, and I, I don't think I'd seen The Detectorists when I originally saw this, so it was quite nice having seen her in something else. I know she's been in a lot of other things, but <laughs> I, I saw it in The Detectorists, and she's she really stood out in this. And one of the small grumble is, there's the bit where she's uh, pleading to her mother, and Rachel Sterling is acting her heart out but unfortunately diana Rigg at that point also has some very deliberately cliched machiavellian dialogue where she's saying i must advance my plans i must accelerate my plans <laughs> and rachel sterling's bawling her eyes out on the floor giving it her absolute everything and and diana Riggs trying to uh do some bond villain work as best she can
3: well talking of bond villain work indeed this is um yeah the plot is is basically suddenly occurred to me hang on this is this is A Spy Who Loved Me slash Moonraker, isn't it? It's a Stromberg-Drax-Multipurpose-Bond plot of I'm going to cultivate my chosen race of perfect mm. people
1: and uh, then oh, yes. co-
3: then cause an apocalypse so they can repopulate the
1: Earth. Mm. We've had the chosen few who are going to repopulate the Earth before, but they've never given it a pseudo-religious justification for the no. me. I mean, mm. it's, obviously, they don't go too far with that because I guess you're still not allowed to, like you weren't in the 70s. Mm. Interesting they push a bit further on that. And it's, it I, is nice after Mark the Running to have villains with a nice big plan. And by big plan, I mean a nice big rocket. Mm. Something mm. big and visible and, and just yes. a plan <laughs> <eat one laughs> would do. <Yeah. laughs> not a little test tube. Mm. Yeah, I
0: mean I, I mean, I felt it was kind of deliberately humanist setting to some extent i mean it, it, it certainly has the o- overtones of the church and of the you know revivalist preacher whatever but it but it also felt like maybe mm. he was backing away from that and it, and it was it, you know it, it was very much about sort of humanity creating something good on earth rather than some kind of
1: ethereal mm. yeah religion yeah there's no depth to that is it it's just a bit of gloss. The it's not that
3: they're all going to ascend or anything But it's interesting, yeah, I, know, I was saying Oh yeah, the chapel Quakerism and stuff like that And obviously, you know, one of the models is all these You know, these model communities and things like that That, yeah, as you say, Bourneville yes. and so on All these factory villages that were springing up and I think actually a bit earlier than this in reality It's full of references, isn't it? I mean, and this is the thing that Gatiss is incredibly well read and... Knows an awful lot about it about this this area in particular. So and I was kind of picking up stuff all over the place. But the nice thing is that it feels to me, you know, like it's a it's a fairly rare occasion where he actually, you know, carries all of that quite lightly. It doesn't it doesn't hammer yeah. him over the head yeah. particularly. But I was thinking, yeah. okay, the match factory stuff, the famous match girls strike and Fossy Jaw, if you remember the um, which happened at the um the Bryan's and May factory at Bow, because people used to. Who worked in the match factories got this dreadful disease called Fossey jaw that was due to exposure to raw phosphorus and, uh, right. and the the match girls strike of about about the 1890s I believe was fairly you know pivotal like you know celebrated moment of industrial action mm-hmm. and Sweetville so far as I could see it looks very much like um, like the Bow match factory which is still standing today although it's uh, very much luxury apartments. But I guess it's it's also it's very much the kind of thing that um, a lot of these Victorian type factories would have looked like. So I thought I thought
0: that was interesting. Is is it deliberately? Do you think a folly v- version of it though, in the sense that there is no factory, mm. there, there's there's no there's no thing that they're actually making. It's just a model community yes. with yeah. a rocket in the middle of it that they're going. You know, so mm.
1: it's a folly version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good point. Yeah. Oh, I. Always reminds me of uh, Willy Wonka. That sort of um, trope. There's the line about nobody who goes and never comes out again, and that's the line that I always remember about Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. That uh, yeah, oh, yes, because that was a lo- that was the question I got wrong in the Junior Mastermind competition when I was ten. That's <laughs> why I'm never going to forget. That. There's one thing I'm never going to forget about Willy Bloody Wonka. Mm. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I I, I had Charlie <laughs> in the Chocolate
3: Factory down as another reference, and to be honest, with it with it being called Sweetville. I'd forgotten that it wasn't a, and especially with everyone coming out pink, I'd I'd Mm. kind of forgotten that it wasn't meant to be a sweet factory and much more definitely referencing Bourneville or anything like that. There
1: are some hints that it could have either he had more ideas than he needed and he couldn't bear to let any of them go. Mm. There's quite a few half developed ones in there, but it's not. Not to his detriment, yeah. but, oh, mm.
2: for once. I really like the reveal of the speakers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The speakers mm. creating yes. the factory noise. That's a neat mm. extra. And it doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't really need to. It's, uh, it's a great its a great visual. Mm.
1: The other reveal where uh, they allow Clara's clever bit, which she always has to have, is when she points out that there's a chimney that has no smoke coming out of it. Mm. So the uncanny element. And that um, that's the sort of, Trick they use a lot in this genre—the little Who Done It
2: clue. Hmm. The the sweet name comes from the fact that Dr. Matthew Sweet is the yes. progenitor of a lot of the ideas in this, or at least oh, okay, conversation yes. with him. So, hmm. so Good Mr. Sweet on. is named after Matthew Sweet.
4: Oh,
1: um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a bit one of his, like, a bit like one of his Jago and Lightfords.
2: I'd tell you a, a really embarrassing story about when I met uh, Matthew Sweet. Yes, please. I was at an event and uh, was speaking to some friends, and he he came up and joined the group. and I don't know whether I don't know what he'd just been doing, but he'd either he'd either seen himself in the mirror or he was watching himself on a monitor or something. But he 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 said he he'd become preoccupied with the way his ears looked, <laughs> and I was in one of those moods. I just had a I just had a rush of blood and a moment of of overconfidence. And in my ill-advised sense of humour, I looked at him and went, Oh my God, yes, your ears! (laughs) Jesus! (laughs) And um, I mean, I thought it was hilarious, but it went down about as well as you can expect. So, yeah. Are you
1: hoping he's going to be listening, so there's going to be a backdoor apology?
2: Uh, I did subsequently apologise, and I think he... Because he won't be. Just ignore If this isn't on going on Radio
1: to... Three, you won't be listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
0: See, so you, 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 you might, you might have, you might have got so far as to the fact that, that he
2: completely forgotten about it. <laughs> um Possibly, I mean, you know. just come back, make an impression. <laughs> yeah. I, I also met Matthew
0: Sweet at an event, and I, I, I almost mugged him. Because I because I thought, uh, you know, you've got to take these opportunities when you see someone. I wanted to talk to him very briefly about the interview things off the Blu-rays. So I, I had a, a slightly over-enthusiastic discussion with him. About that, uh, which he was so enamoured by the conversation that he faked a call from Paul Vanessis <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, of course, he may have had a call from Paul Vanessis but he's but he but he's certainly, We've he's, 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 he certainly we all done He certainly said he claimed to have a call from Paul Vanessis and disappeared uh, into the scenery.
1: So yeah, <laughs> we both had similar success there. Mm. <laughs> well, I tr- no, never mind. <laughs> I'm not going to oh, I'm not going to. Yes. We we had a nice conversation at the tavern once. Okay. Um, mm. Obviously, he was trying to flog me an in episode of Web of Fear three, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think he slipped to the on the uh, when he went to get the tube home. But <laughs> <laughs> uh.
3: obviously, there's Ada's relationship to the Doctor. There's an obvious Frankenstein reference there, mm. <laughs> especially with her being blind. With the is it the woods the old man the old man the, in the woods who uh, hmm. befriends the monster so that's um
1: it is nice isn't it but it's um feels a bit cruel considering that Moffat was always going on about how um, Matt Smith looked like a cross between an underwear model and Frankenstein yes yes <laughs> and they'd probably just about forgotten that <laughs> by this point and then they, then they write it back in yeah it could only be worse if they painted in green. <laughs>
2: And there's a gag at the end where the girl says, well, she says, she says, the girl, how do you know he's an alien? And she says, because of the chin. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, and, of course, the Ada, you know, the fact that she's called Ada, is presumably you know, referencing Ada Lovelace, in passing at least, who was uh, mm. Lord Bowen's daughter, which brings us all the way back to the Lone Cyberman and Villa Diodati, and uh, so it's uh, everything's connected. One
2: of the little literary references I picked up the the red leech itself is a reference, is a Sherlock Holmes reference. I forget which one. It's one oh, of those uh, off off screen ah. adventures. Oh, the right, The case of yes. the red yeah. leech or something gets uh. mentioned. Oh, okay. So he did meet Baden Bastra then. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice idea actually that to make the the parasite something from the time of the Silurians, so presumably a native.
2: Isn't that weird that? For all the different reasons, our esteemed organizer has picked these two episodes. That they both culminate in a dinosaur-based, chemical-infused <laughs> extravaganza uh, at the end. It's a, a weird little Victorian slash Cretaceous fusion that crops up both for no readily good reason. <laughs>
3: and I thought this was just the gay icons uh, crossover episode. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Didn't anyone think that the sinister? Mortician, the bloke in the <laughs> uh, yes, in the mortuary. That's why I and said mortician. He rem- he reminded me of a Gaiters ca- yes. yes. exactly County like, butcher Mr. from the League of Gentlemen. He's doing yes. the same yes. mannerisms and everything. Yeah, I'm same sure voice. That's him, right. yeah. I didn't notice that last time.
3: I spent more time than his healthy looking up and actually checking and trying to figure out who, <laughs> who it was, and that he is a What's genuine, Hillary, genuine actor. He's Amos. Of Briss. course, he's Amos. <laughs> so he is played by. Graham Turner apparently if, no. is the actor. And I
1: assume Gaitis didn't write it for himself and then get dissuaded. But so there's a nice wonder. thought.
3: I kept looking and thinking, is it Gaitis in prosthetics? Because <laughs> you know, I was thinking, oh, is, it, is it one of those makeup, is it a League of Gentlemen style makeup job or something? It, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and of course, he's got a, um, yeah, talking of references again with. Throwing in our Doctor Who ones there, that that's Talons of Wen Shang, isn't it? The um making all sick that oh, one, yeah. isn't it? I can't mm. quite remember what his what his lines are, but it's clearly not nod in that direction. And mm. I just realised that one with the because I was trying to think, oh, you know, where's the reference? The whole that bit you were saying about with the I've I've been foolish, Mama, when Rachel Sterling's on her knees, and of course I suddenly realised that's from Ghost Ghostlight, isn't it? Oh yeah. I'm, Yes, it's, um, I'm, I was watching. I was watching it. I was thinking, hang on, where have I seen this before? Where's, where am I hmm. picking out the reference? And that's poor um. What's the name when she just before she gets petrified?
1: Hmm. I think in terms of Mister Sweet, I'm, I'm talking about the little red crustacean yes. version, hmm. not our mutual friend. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the symbiotic nature of these two is is novel as well, isn't it? We haven't seen a lot of that in Doctor Who. Hmm. It would that's nicely done. It's not just ancient alien trying to take over the earth or a mad human trying mm. to remake the world in their image. It's, it's a combination of both. No, it, probably, this scheme probably wouldn't have happened if they hadn't both been joined at the... Uh, yeah. Well, I'm not quite sure where they were. <laughs> <laughs> joined at the NIP. <laughs> 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 oh dear.
2: It's a wonderfully grotesque <laughs> idea, isn't it? It's uh, surprisingly—it's they... uh, technically It technically falls into the category of having no... Well, apart from Strax I suppose you kind of eliminate the cast when you've got the Doctor involved it's got no alien elements like a, like a Silurian story because the, the menace is all oh, yes. homegrown as far as we know it's not, it's not an alien leechy mm. parasite mm. is it? It's a, it's a Silurian era one that she said she found in the Thames mm. Oh well true yes I used the word very loosely Oh I wasn't
1: contradicting you what did you say? Loose to the extent of being wrong Oh, oh no I wasn't I called it an alien earlier just about two minutes ago, but I meant to say,
2: um, <laughs> yeah, creature uh, thing. I mean, it is alien in the one sense, it's not an it's extraterrestrial, a, as far as we know. Yes. Like thin ice, I like the fact that the monster in thin ice does not turn out to be an alien either, it's just a it's just a thing floating around in the Thames.
1: Mm. Are you saying the Crimson Horror is yes, essentially is pure a historical, historical in the vein of yeah. the Highlanders and Black Orchids? Right, <laughs> just checking,
0: although, <laughs> although. So, so how has she invented a rocket?
2: Just hard work. Hard right. work so <laughs> br- and she's nothing... She's just knuckled she's bit, down to it. She's a bit brighter
0: oh. than Werner Von Braun or whatever. Yeah, yeah that, that's that is right. one element
2: that's kind of skimmed over because I think this suggestion is that the symbiosis with uh, Mr. Sweet elevates her a bit. But if he's oh, right. just mm-hmm. a parasite... I'm don't. not 100% confident of that but if he's just an earth parasite then how did He hasn't
1: happen? kept her young, has he? She's... Aged normally. She might be a thousand mm. years um, old. She... <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's she a, might be a Silurian. She, well
2: she might be sixty-five million years old, rather than just sixty-five. Mm. And then the Jurassic gets mentioned, which is annoying. I don't. Should I don't they like... more?
1: Should they more precisely have been the Eocene? Eocene. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me
2: started on. Don't get me started on when the Silurians are from. <laughs>
3: mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think you rate. need to worry too much about the rocket because I mean, you, I know don't see any particular evidence for what's powering it, and you know, you've obviously got plenty of rocketry that was going on before, like with solid, solid fuel rockets, and you know, various things that were being used in the 18th and 19th century. And it doesn't reach the upper atmosphere, so far, you know, so far as we can mm. figure out, it doesn't seem to reach firework. space. If you want to, it's exactly a big firework. So, yeah, thank you for that corrective job. And it kind of yeah. looks like that anyway, so...
2: It's a good job That's... we've got an astrologer on the team. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh.
1: And the bloke who keeps fainting is also funny. He is, oh, yes. is such a good move, yeah. even a joke as silly as that. Yeah. Uh, by the time he that. appeared for mm. one last go-round-is-running gag, I I was cheering. Yeah. <laughs> the only joke I
2: can't forgive and get past... I know what you're going to say. Go on. <laughs> Tom Tom. What's... Yeah, it's... N- Oh,
1: I, is it the sat-nav I, joke?
2: Yeah. I I remember yeah. that it was a
1: sat-nav joke and I was waiting for him to say that his name was some Sat- sort of weird <laughs> analogy to <laughs> sat-nav. and it wasn't yeah. and that's
2: all I remembered. I have a love hate relationship with that because I, I love the idea that it's playing with the trope of meeting a historical person that goes on to do a great thing, which is the hmm. the, uh, the, the the amazingly tired time travel slash historical slash whatever. Hmm. And it's like, oh, it turns yeah. out to be Mr Mr Tom Tom. But I I, I can't get on with the the exact phrasing of the little boy. If he'd just given directions, and it had yes. not been the precise electronic yes. direct, because that is so incongruous, it takes you out of what what little suspension of disbelief you've got left. <laughs>
1: it's a yeah. very fine balance, isn't it?
2: Mm. So if he'd just given directions and then been called Thomas Thomas, I'd have I'd have given it a pass.
1: It, it works for me, and the fact
3: the fets they don't hammer it home when he says Thomas Thomas. Hmm. They don't go they call me Tom Tom for short. Wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it could have been with,
2: Yeah.
1: It could have it
3: been and in the hands of other people
1: might have been I remembered something that I hadn't said a quarter of an hour ago. I think I've pointed out that some of Jenny's dialogue was rewritten as, rewritten as Clara and then rewritten back to Jenny again. But I mean I had wondered I so, why yeah. Jenny gets so much to do. She's I mean it feels slightly odd at times that she's got so much more to do than Madame Vastra. Hmm. And I was just assuming that Gages had fallen in love with the character. Because, I mean, when the Paternoster game came to Big Finish, I think almost all the writers instinctively wrote up Jenny, thinking, I know, I'll be the first person to give Jenny a, a, a big part, the, the lead. Mm-hmm. And we all did it, which was <laughs> kind of inevitable. And having met, mentioned Big Finish, I was slightly embarrassed when I re- got to Mr. Sweet, and I realised that's basically what I'd ripped off when I'd created another sort of race of small Crustaceans that were the scourge of Silurian era Earth, uh, mm-hmm. and thought, what a great original idea! <laughs> but when did you set your so no- Nobody era? warned me that this was potential. Oh, uh, me personally, um, I made it sixty-five million and twelve years, <laughs> <which> <laughs> just for for plot reasons. It was a big
3: ecosystem. There's enough, um, yeah. There's room for what, a couple of different parasitic races and things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, at least I, did, I also destroyed Atlantis for the fourth time in the same story. <laughs> uh, why not? No, I, I didn't. I was... <laughs> well, the Crimson Horror. Was the link just supposed to be the uh, vaguely no- 19th century northern industrial feel? Or was had you spotted that the mark of the Rani is indeed a kind of crimson oh, yeah. hue? Both stories' titles come from a red-hued affliction. Skin mm. thing. Ooh. Very good.
0: I'll 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 leave the um, I'll leave the listener to decide whether that was indeed central <laughs> to the connection or or simply uh, a very nice accretion. Yeah.
1: Ah well, oh, well there we are then. I should have saved that till the end if that if that wasn't <laughs> where we were heading with this entire thing. They've probably mm. they've probably all been screaming at, at us throughout the entire podcast. Apparently that's what they do. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> they scream for some reason at any rate. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I was going to bring up that was... Um, yeah. This is a request for illumination as much as anything. When the Doctor gets the gets the whole plan out of Mrs Gillyflower and and she's slagging off Ada and then Ada comes around the corner. Now, we don't get any indication that... We, we don't know that she's there beforehand. And I don't think we get any indication that this is the Doctor deliberately doing that...
2: It is signposted slightly. He said, his his final words in the preceding scene to Ada are "Come with me. There's something you need to know." So ah, right, okay, it is because I was conscious of that. I think being ADR and wondering, I was I was only paying attention because I was wondering to myself whether that had been rewritten or. He'd originally said there's something you need to see, and they thought twice about it, or mm. I don't know. But that was playing on my mind, and then so with that, when that scene then started, I thought, ah, he is doing it for her benefit.
3: Uh, that's more, that's all the more interesting if it, if it was ADR, because that was the thing that I was going to pick up on earlier about writing choices and things like that, that in some ways, you might have had someone might have written that as really leaning into that, that the Doctor is being consciously cruel to mm. Ada. In terms of make, making her hear this stuff, or yeah, no, I think he was not. doing it
2: to to turn, yeah, to make sure she turned against the mm. mother. But I'm always suspicious of any lines that are particularly good audio quality, but also when it's a cutaway shot to an inanimate object mm. and you don't Absolutely. see the actor's limbs. Mm. So, and that was a case of there's something you need to see. Mm. No, there was something you need to know, he said, and mm. I thought, hmm, that sounds like a, a late edition. Okay. Constantly boring Miss, Mrs. Morris with
1: my screams of, that was ADR! <laughs> yeah. God, you can yeah. imagine, I'll give the evenings flyby.
3: <laughs> okay, so I wonder whether they, they started with the intention of, with it being a coincidental thing, and then decided to tighten it up. So,
0: uh, I guess I, um, I failed to mention it during our, our, our long discussion about Mark of the Rani, but Nobody ever tells anybody what's happened to Luke. I mean, basically, at the end of the story, the, the Master and the Rani go on their way, and the, and the Doctor and Perry go on their way, and they're the only <laughs> people who have the clue what's happened to Luke. So his, and so his, his, his dad's going dad. to wonder, yeah. yeah. Uh, George Stevens is going to be pining for him as well, They will say he was, he was, he was reeked odd the, <laughs> a few hours before he disappeared.
1: Um, but yeah, hmm. no, no one's ever well, going to know. They won't say he's a bit odd because apparently nobody noticed, despite the fact he started doing this strange <laughs> villain acting. Yeah. But, yeah. And there's no suggestion that he's not going to live on. Well, if Rani explicitly says he'll, he'll live mm. on for a, several times
2: a human lifespan.
1: So, yeah. will he just be tickling people, random passing by, <laughs> he yeah, 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 yeah. through them. the cops? <laughs> I like
2: the idea that the, the, the doctor just departing just says cryptic things that like mm. the Rani did for no reason. He's yes. out in the dell, but he's a changed man. Bye. <laughs> well, like,
1: yeah. The famous tickling tree of Red It's He's improved since Vengeance on Varos. He doesn't make any. He doesn't make any terrible tasteless mm. puns, does he? Yeah. sub Austin Power style. His bark <laughs> was worse than his bites. Just leave him <laughs> alone. Yeah. He's branched out. No, stop. I hate puns. Why am yeah. I? Stop <laughs> encouraging me. Oh, you, oh, yeah, you, you didn't. A, you're a <laughs> uh,
3: it's a fair coppice. You twigs. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. That's worth the wait,
0: yeah. <laughs> but but at least we don't get that here. There's there's no there's no hanging issues for any of the remaining characters at the end.
3: Uh,
2: nope. i was trying to work out if that was a tree pun. <laughs> it wasn't, was it? We were waiting. I, for he's, the tr- he's being serious. He's trying mm. to drag us back on court. <laughs> no, I'm not
0: no.
3: Uh, not especially. <laughs> yeah, my general impression was just why can't. Gates always write like this for Doctor Who. Because hmm. he's very good at most you know, most other things he writes I thoroughly enjoy, really, but it's often the Doctor Who that feels like it falls short, and this one is pretty damn perfect, really.
1: Well we're left with a nasty possibility that he's only any good when <laughs> Doctor Matthew Sweet gives him all the ideas. <laughs> but I'm not going to believe that that was the case. I think this is I think this is like a stick of black hole rock with gatus written through it i'm very fond of it sir.
3: yeah i don't i don't think that can be the case because this because matthew sweet wouldn't have been responsible for the form the form of it and
1: the, like the, form, oh, the no, formal no, no, invention no. of it and so on that we get we get in this that we don't usually get well, the things that are brilliant about this appear in all gators's other stories but they're often soda things that drag them down and mm. and this somehow he just gets it bang on this time mm. well nobody's perfect well he's got a
0: very talented director helping him and, and a good cast i mean you mm. know there's there's lots of things that are working for this
2: i think the the directing is is excellent i think that it's beautifully shot and one of the things i noticed was the use of color it's red and green throughout so the, the obviously the the red toxin and mr sweet is red and mr sweet's innards are also red when he gets splatted mm. the villain headquarters are red walled and red carpeted but you've also got green counterbalancing that all the way through. They've ramped up the saturation of the green in the streets, and there's a green fence by the tardis and uh, Ada's costume is green at the end mm. And the doctor's cured in the magical chamber with the sonic screwdriver. It's a green light, and mm. I just like that uh, the the red, green palette throughout its beautifully shot Victorian landscape it just looks really nice. Mm. It feels really lavish' it's, it's, it feels ten times more Victorian than Mark of the Rani, I think, weirdly. Mm-hmm. But then it is kind of all dialed up.
0: I, I guess this is deliberately heightened, isn't it? So maybe that maybe that's helping. So you're not expecting
2: it to be entirely authentic and it, mm. it, it, it delivers perfectly for what it is. It's interesting that the two uh, aspects of the Victorian period are great poverty and great wealth mm. through industry and and Mark of the Rani and Crimson Horror reflect each end although although you've got the sort of the squalid factory component of crimson horror it's a lush victorian world especially starting with a paternoster's home inside um Mrs. What's her name's uh, layer is all very nicely done, and you've got the beautiful Victorian church. So mm. you can get the plush side. Yeah, and it, it, even even the lower
0: characters are sort of almost middle class, aren't? They? I mean, yeah. that that, that the, the the whole thing about those model villages is that
2: nobody's living in. Scholar. Yeah. Mm. It's kind of bringing everybody up a bit, mm. isn't it? I wonder if that's a slight, slight misstep. In I mean, it doesn't matter because ultimately we got what we got, but. Uh, has conceived this out of oppressive factory conditions. I think that was the embryonic notion, and and it, and you don't get the oppressed worker vibe because it, like you say, it all comes out as middle class.
1: The thing is, as soon as you mentioned that, I start imagining a version of this where he there is a subplot about oppressed workers, and that's where the pathos is. The pathos is transferred from Ada mm. to to a a character who's just there purely to be hmm. the subject of our pity hmm. and then it turned and then it's flawed like for me stories like the idiots Lantern are or um so the other efforts where i just feel that are not particularly successful
0: yeah i mean the whole street touching thing comes out in that one with dervila kerwin
1: mm. next doctor
0: mm. yeah so so I mean, we've had that i suppose and so maybe this is a bit different
3: yeah, and I guess the thing is, where would you put the press factory workers when you have a factory that, when the setup
1: is that the factory doesn't do anything? I think in in forty five minutes, I'm glad he didn't go down mm, that route. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why it works so well for me. Mm. Mm. Which is not to say that in principle it's not a good idea. And if you had time to do it justice, that wouldn't have that would, could have been a very powerful sideline. Mm. But mm. I'm, you know, in terms of what we got, yeah, maybe he was inspired by the Paternoster Gang, as as who wouldn't be. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: As a kind of aside, with it for that whole model village thing, I, I was um, reading the biography of Jacqueline Hill. She, she started her acting career in uh, the Bourneville factory, working for Cadbury's, hmm. in her sort of late teens, early twenties, something like that. And and so it was through that kind of am dram stuff that she then became involved in in acting. So, so I guess even even as late as the nineteen fifties, that kind of setup was still. Helping to elevate people from a sort of humdrum existence to something a bit more. Mm. I mean. The opening sequence—I'd forgotten that, that 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 existed as well. I mean, I guess it's only for this second half of series seven, isn't it, that that they had that particular bit with the wibbly wobbly and and Matt Smith and a slightly different version of the of the theme. But it it it, um, it, it
1: sort of caught me by surprise because I'd forgotten it, along with everything else. <laughs> 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 While we're just mentioning random things, I noticed that in the trailer for the next week's episode, privilege privileges a shot of the Doctor having been turned into a sideman, uh, you oh, know, yes. looming forward and screaming at the camera mm, in exactly yeah. the same way as we've just seen him do, having turned into Crimson Horror. Oh, I thought that's a point. bit careless to put those two stories next to each other. Mm. Yeah. And then, of course, and Gav has pointed out that they moved this one as far away from the snowmen as possible, mm, which right. is almost to the other end of the season, so maybe that's how it happened. One thing I, when I think of New Who, I think of. Um, Endless interviews in Doctor Who magazine where they explain how they carefully move stories around because they notice that. Mm. I remember, was it one year two stories had torches in, so they moved them towards <laughs> the end of the season because you couldn't possibly. They would be up in arms if two stories had torches in. Mm. And yet, here we get.
2: Anyway, never mind.
1: Mm. Yeah. It is not a criticism, just an observation.
2: This episode was underrunning, so they were desperately looking for bits and bobs to fill it with. So that end scene with the, you know, Clara goes home. Ah. Meets with the kids that was relocated from uh, Journey to the Center of the TARDIS and shunted in to that episode. And then there were extra scenes with the Paternoster gang written oh. uh, the one in the coach and the one looking at the poster, I think. And they're just filler to bring But it up not
1: full But not the Satnav joke. <laughs> it was <laughs> no. always there from the beginning. I, that was I, in the original pitch. <laughs> <laughs> the whole
2: episode is based around the Nav joke. And it expanded mm. outwards from there.
3: <laughs> it's nice because it, it doesn't overplay the sort of Strax tropes, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the 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 boy boy girl confusion mm. and stuff like that. So I think we get it. We get it once, but we don't we don't dwell on it. And and it just mm. it uses him uses him well. To you know, we have a series of equally amusing gags. You know, like the the stuff with the horse.
2: There's always a lot of resentment in the in the Doctor Who community about through Strax mainly the Sontarans have become a, a joke and it doesn't worry me too much and Lynx has some quite fun yeah. and funny lines mm. and I think he's, he sometimes he's sort of being kind of knowingly ignorant Lynx I mean in the same way I mean I'm not saying Strax is knowingly ignorant but uh, I mean it, it doesn't feel a million miles away when you know like when Lynx says your system of breeding is inefficient and you should change it and these <laughs> kind of I mean, it's it's naivety rather than stupidity. Hmm. Yeah, I I think Strax is as close to Link's the original Sontaran as we've had. I mean, you know, it's hmm. like the two Doctors Sontarans. I I find harder to recognise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's not literally because they're completely different. <laughs> um, <No. laughs> you know what I mean. So yeah, I, I, yeah. Strax doesn't bother me, but um, no. but does yeah, there's a lot of comments like I "Can't wait for the Santones to come back and be a, a threat and not a laughing stock again," and sentiments to that effect. It doesn't doesn't worry me.
3: But then they they were entirely dreamt up as being a satirical, yeah, and it was a mm. satirical idea in the first place, really, weren't they? So. Mm. And you get that in links and to some extent with Styre, maybe. And then, yeah, it just gets forgotten about, and they're just, just another warmongering yeah. race, but they leave out the satire.
2: <laughs> it's not playing it for laughs in The Time Warrior, but they're fun scenes with uh, him and I and mm. There's all kinds of fun bits. I, I really like The Time Warrior. Mm. I think it's underrated. And I think uh, Strax is an acceptable offshoot of that. Mm. It's fine.
0: Any other thoughts about the Crimson Horror before we uh, bring this one juddering to a halt?
3: <laughs> Just that I really liked the, um, the Dr. Clara relationship at this point, and I remember what a breath of fresh air she was. I mean, okay, we had the impo- in this sort of impossible girl phase. I'd kind of forgotten about this, because I kind of think about Clara in seri- the Series 8 and 9 mm. iterations mm. instead. And I thought, oh yeah, she was a... Breath of fresh I air. Mean, not to say anything yeah. against Karen and Arthur, Amy, Amy and Rory particularly, but but yeah, it was a, it was a nice, interesting, yeah, you know, fun relationship they had going on there.
2: What struck me when I came to watch this today and find it on iPlayer, scrolling backwards through time. Mm. and I couldn't immediately remember what season it is Mm. because it's like four years in a row I'm not great at place but when I was looking at the later Clara seasons and I thought oh it's it's definitely not that season because my as soon as I saw the row of thumbnails I just thought they're all so grim and the crimson horror I remember being fun Mm. and so I scrolled up and thought it's not that season because that's slightly less grim but it's still not fun and mm. then i finally came to the right season i thought oh that's the, that's the fun season where i didn't feel miserable at the end of each episode mm. and there it is so yeah it was it was a point i was fully on board yeah. with uh with the new series and mm. it was great great to revisit it mm-hmm. and kind of linked to that i'm contractually obliged to
1: say that matt smith is the best thing in this the best of many good things, as I do every time we watch a Matt Smith. He's just astonishing. And we didn't mm. know when we were well off. Unless, of course, we did know when we were well off. But uh, you know what I mean. It's the turn of phrase. He's yeah. a, he's amazing. Every he gets the best out of every single line.
2: Yeah. Bring mm. him back to our screens. I thought that exact thing. I mean, like you say, he does it throughout. But there's one line in particular where he, it's just a throwaway. He says, she's a lizard. And you just thought, how can you make that? be that good there's no there's, <laughs> n- there's not enough meat in that to be that good a line there you go i think he does that
1: bit where the doctor switches from dark to light or no or light to dark on a sixpence much better than any others some people i mean i don't wish to break <laughs> him up by criticizing other doctors but um he does it so lightly with mm. just a sort of slight n- narrowing the eyes mm. and um, whereas some people have to and so the other doctors have to change their entire physicality and voice to get that across. And comparatively, it's a bit heavy handed. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, not long to the 60th anniversary and we'll see him again, <laughs> won't we? Won't we, please? <laughs>
0: Surely. Yes, and it's, I suppose it's also a return to the era of, of, of the run up to the, to the 50th and mm. more Doctor Who than ever before. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> oh dear, that's a difference. now then that's now, a... now <laughs> no. We well, never
1: did get to the bottom of that, did we? And this is not the place to start. <laughs> not now, no. No, um, no. Never mind. Hmm. <laughs> so, unlike the snowman, there are no clues to no, there are return the no. no. missing <laughs> no, episodes no. hidden no. in here. Although, no doubt, some people on the forums did some humor- <clears throat> numerology based.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crimson... Oh, no. <laughs> 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 so, okay, so, so essentially what we've got here are, are, are two stories set in the 19th century involving some kind of chemical reaction on people that kind of transforms their behaviour. We've got strong women who have who are sort of single-minded in in their activity to, to get what they want, I guess, at, at, at kind of whatever the cost. And I suppose one of the one of the stories is a bit more fun
2: than the other, but they but they both have their light moments. And you've got a you've got a third act that links back to the Cretaceous period for no particularly good reason. And each one. And the colour red. Mm.
1: And the colour red. (laughs) FF zero (laughs) zero zero (laughs) zero splendid. OK,
0: well, look, I mean, in that wish case, what's left is to uh, thank you all for a uh, you know, very pleasant chat through these two stories and, and for your company. Um, and I'm sure, I mean, we have, uh, it, it, it's, it's fair to say, listeners, we've, we've got a few other combinations up our sleeves, which we'll probably have a trawl through and, and work out which is the best one to go with next. But, but, um, but yeah, so we'll be with you in, in a, a few weeks' time. Uh, depending on how long it takes me to edit this and get it out, and um, we'll look forward to seeing you then, or, or, or you can hear you, you hearing us, I suppose.
3: It's an acceptable, it's an acceptable form of speech to say we'll see you then. <laughs>
4: yeah.
3: I don't Nothing always like nice put my t- <laughs> I don't always put my foot through the TV when, yeah, the, yeah. when they say it on television. Uh, <laughs> I suppose.
0: Is there anything that any of you would wish to, uh, you know, of your work you'd wish to promote before we put this to bed?
1: Gav, try and sell me your book, because I, <laughs> no. I, I still need to be persuaded. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I just, I can't. <laughs>
2: I just love the idea of finishing a podcast with the host not being able to work out whether he can see or hear his listeners or they can see or hear him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I thought it was God. better. Uh, thought it was funnier than ending on a hex value, although that was a <laughs> old move, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just yeah, so by my book... Ring.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Podcast <coughs> Gaz's book, everyone.
2: Yep. Available Gaz. at all. And good places. Yeah. And I might get an episode of Terry Nation Army out next week as well. It's not ooh. inconceivable.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the only problem with plugging that here is that anyone who listens to this will already be watching that anyway. And anyone who's watching, most people watching that won't be listening to this. But, you know, I mean, it's it's a nice thought, isn't
1: it? I mean, there's there's the doc- there's the Missing Episode podcast, which has just returned with yeah. with Gav and I, discussing, yes. and, and obviously Tim, discussing uh, Darks Master Plan. Ooh, so has it? Have a listen to that. Okay, yeah. this is news to me. Well, it's fairly current as I speak. Feed. Brilliant. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: And it is absolutely uh, excellent, But uh, but I also feel that it's probably got a a kajillion listeners already compared <laughs> yeah, to this be, humble effort. Yeah, yeah we're we we a small circle in the middle
3: of in the middle of their Venn diagram, aren't we? Uh,
0: indeed. It, it but but yes, no, we I, I, I would wholeheartedly recommend that to anyone. Good. Thank you.
3: Yeah. And I will be appearing on various national public radios over the oh. across the US. Oh, just,
0: yes, yeah, tell us tell us about,
3: about, about that. that. I'm do I'm doing a doing a audio publicity tour as it were for my book, so I'll be appearing on various forms of NPR across the U.S. Mm. over the next couple of weeks or so. Weirdly enough,
2: it's that this book here. Fantastic. If
3: any of you listen to Leonard Lopate at Large, then yeah, I'm coming up on there tomorrow.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, yeah, we we um, we also heartily recommend Giles' book. So Giles breaks America. Hey,
3: <laughs> America breaks Giles more like. Who was that? <laughs>
1: This is a, this tangentially. Does anyone know? Is anyone familiar with When the Boat Comes In? Because I desperately want ah, to. Ah, yes, of course. And that, that was another been an thing. But I've never seen it. So. Uh. Mm. Well, I have been in
0: the room when I'm it was pretty... on. But, uh, but I've no say i actually watched it.
2: <laughs> I'm familiar with it as an Alan Partridge quote and nothing more.
0: <laughs> when the Boat comes in? Yeah. I'm pretty okay, sure. Okay, we'll cut that's... that entire bit out then.
1: Yeah. My instinct, initial instinct is not to mention it, were well, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <coughs> oh, I just i just did an Anthony A. Lee chuckle I do not know <laughs> <that>.
3: <laughs> So the best I can do with that Richard, since I know you were starting Is Chrono R. Morris is Oh the, yeah Is the best anagram I can find For uh oh, films for films Horror
2: At
3: well, least the best one with <laughs> The best one with Morris in it At any rate <laughs> 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 Ooh Hmm. So hang on. Which one's uh, which one's story R? <laughs> uh, it's not a missing one, is it?
0: Is it not? It's, um...
1: Chase. No, that's yeah. not one. Yes. No, what is it?
0: Q's the Space Museum R to Chase, yeah. Uh, Chase. Oh, okay. me I never get Time. them right. <laughs> Time nice. <red>
1: light, yeah. <laughs> My <laughs> favourite.
3: Mm. Mm. Chrono I mean, Cha- Chrono Chase Morris, there we go. Yeah, you're everything's you connected. As <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, never that. never a true word spoken. There you go.